Latino Vote, a pop-up podcast from Gotham Gazette, is back again. Last year, we began this series looking into the Latino vote and the New York City municipal elections. We interviewed several Latino elected officials and other guests to explore and dissect issues pertaining to Latinos in New York. Now, with statewide and local elections quickly approaching, we have decided to continue with this pop-up podcast series now titled Latino Vote 22. I'm Eli Valentin, a contributing Gotham Gazette columnist, professor and political analyst. This podcast series accompanies my forthcoming Gotham Gazette column series of the same name about the Latino vote and the consequential 2022 elections. This first episode will explore the just completed redistricting process in New York and its implications for Latinos. Of course, in New York politics, there is never a dull moment. And this past redistricting process surely kept all of us scratching our heads and current and aspiring candidates exploring their options and even incumbents running against each other. I'm delighted to be joined by the former speaker of the New York City Council, Melissa Mark Viverito, who made history by becoming the first Latina in the history of the council. And I'm also joined by my friend Lucia Gomez, political director at the New York City Central Labor Council. Lucia also served as a consultant to Latino justice on the redistricting process. Have Latino neighborhoods been electorally split? Is there potential for Latino vote dilution. Melissa and Lucia, let's start our conversation. So, you know, the first question that comes to mind is um, not question, actually, I I think our listeners uh, will be well served if we give them a a very quick uh, rundown of what transpired in this latest redistricting saga. Um, I do not personally recall a redistricting process like this one in which a judge rejects lines after candidates petitioned and were certified by uh, the Board of Elections. So why were the legislature's lines rejected by a judge? Um, There was a whole lot of drama. So Lucia, can you just give us a quick rundown about what happened there? Sure. Well, one, this is the first time that we've endured this process the way it currently is. For one, in 2014, right, there was an independent redistricting commission created uh, by then legislature and uh, Governor Cuomo. And that commission is the one that... um, started having hearings last year. It took essentially the place of the Legislative Task Force on Redistricting and Reapportionment. And that commission uh, wasn't able to come to a consensus and draw a set of lines. And so as a result, the legislature, based on what the Constitution says, took over the process um, just as quickly as we saw the the court's um, find those plans on Constitution on the special master host one hearing and some time for comments, the legislature took it upon themselves to have no hearings and to, in fact, um, put in a new set of lines. The governor signed um, that bill once they decided on what the lines looked like, showed no one until the lines were signed, right, um, as to what these uh, new plans were. And the Republicans immediately took it to court in Steuben County, about four hours away from the city. And that judge found those plans unconstitutional, went through a series of of hearings and and internal hearings and process of the courts. And then we saw the final 
which is the court of appeals uh, basically say you have to redraw. Um, luckily at that, you know, a little bit before that, the uh, judge over in Steuben County had already set up a certain amount of um, timelines, you know, some calendar dates in place so that uh, the appointed, and he appointed a special master. It's not the first time we've had a special master in the state of New York. In the past, the special master, at least since I've been involved in 2000, um, I've seen two special masters draw the congressional district lines um, because the legislature just didn't have enough time to come up with congressional lines because they came up with their own individual legislative lines. And so the special master is appointed as this like independent person to draw lines uh, based on the criteria and strictly follow the criteria, supposedly, according to what the, you know, what that was. In fact, the special master did draw lines Ironically enough, he took a lot of what the Republican Independent Redistricting Commission members interpreted from the hearings, um, put forth a, a set of state, Senate and congressional lines. And lo and behold, you know, took two days to take some comments based on his lines. And then we saw the final plans um, by the special master, which at that point, there's no more rebuttal, right? The highest court in the state of New York uh, decided on that. The only uh, kind of rebuttal that could happen is if someone files in federal court against those plans. But it is actually the very first time that we see an entire narrative written out by someone in charge of drawing these maps. In mm. the past, we had that write out when folks had to submit uh, to the Department of Justice their justifications for drawing maps in the Bronx, in Brooklyn, and in Manhattan because they were part of what we what is Section Five used to be Section Five preclearance um, under the Voting Rights Act, which required those three boroughs in in the state of New York um, to justify why they you know made the changes that they did not having that anymore this is the first time i've read an entire you know uh document that highlights what the what that person did why the mapper did what they did um something that we did not see from the legislature or ever hear um from the legislature when they drew those maps well i, I let me let me add something eli you know i think the <clears throat> from from trying to speak for more like a lay person yes i've been in politics yes i've gone through these processes before um it's very hard to say that any process is true Truly independent, right? Let, let's start with that. But it, what happened, and what from looking at it from more from the outsider perspective, is that you had communities. The, the process that was kicked over to the legislature, um, it became a very highly politicized process which is what was then contested and challenged and taken to court. But the draw, the, the draw, original drawing of the lines by the state legislature really did devastate certain communities, right? It, it really did split certain communities down the middle. Um, communities of interest were kind of like placed in areas where they typically maybe had no um, uh, interest in being. And so it was really problematic. I think Nidia Velasquez's district is a prime example of that, right? So now we have a situation where, yes, you have the special master that was appointed, but you've had a process that's been going kicking back and forth in the courts uh, for so long and it's causing so much chaos and confusion, um, just decided within the last week or so. And now you have a situation where you have an assembly races primary happening in June and you've got state Senate and congressional primaries happening in August. And then you have all this confusion about the state uh, election, statewide. Ele it's really for the voter. 
this is just sheer chaos. And I think that the concern here is also uh, the lower, what, what it might do to voter participation and engagement, right? That people might just tune out or people don't understand what's happened. They go vote once, maybe they won't go vote the second time. Um, and so that potentially has an impact on our community's level of engagement too. So, yes. Which, which by the way though, yeah, Melissa, yeah. this was all a result of having late data from the Census Bureau. We typically have this data in March or April of you know the election year one, right? Which would in this case was 2021, right after a zero decennial census takes place. And you know, we got the data in August, late August at that. And so, you know, all these fighting, you know, all this, you know, all of this could have been potentially dragged out much sooner, mm-hmm. right? The court process, everything could have been kicked back three, four months. Um, you know, maybe there would have been a little bit more input, maybe all these hypotheticals. But the reality still remains that I, I personally think that had the legislature at a minimum had more input from external folks when they took the process away from the Independent Redistricting Commission, there would have been a lot less that the courts could have pointed to on such a hyper, you know, incumbent protection type of plans mm-hmm. that were put in place, right? Mm-hmm. It be it was so sloppily, you know, it was done sloppy. Um, and unfortunately, you know, that's what happens if a court actually functions in the way they should, which in this case, you know, I, I'm, I'm kind of a little bit happy that this happened this way because it just tells folks you don't, don't go, don't go out of your way to screw communities. Exactly. You protect yourself in exactly. a way that doesn't buy you any cover. And they bought themselves no cover in the way they executed. Um, I they- would agree with you completely on that one. Yeah, absolutely. And and, um, and and going back to uh, uh, Melissa's point that, you know, it is voters that that ultimately are, are negatively impacted. And I think here about Latino, especially right, Latino, Asian voters, which tend to be low propensity voters and and what that would mean in, you know, these congressional and state Senate elections that happen in August. Right. Uh, or what? Almost two months after the gubernatorial primary and and this assembly judicial primaries all that right so um that 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 will remain to be seen we've had elections before right that you know we had congressionals in june state uh legislative and state right elections in september but it, it's been some years since that and um that that was never um, a, a perfect or ideal kind of election cycle. And that's why, right, partly uh, things were moved to June. But l- let me let me go back to this uh, in terms of how how this may impact Latino, uh, Latino voters, Latino neighborhoods and even uh, Latino political representation. Um, what do what do you both see in terms of uh, lines being favorable or perhaps not when it comes to um, uh, Latino Latino neighborhoods, uh, how those lines were constructed. Uh, what does that mean to people like, for instance, Nidia Velasquez, which we said before we started recording, that um, I, I think her lines were perhaps out of all the Latino congressional representatives, right? I think her lines were changed uh, uh, more I don't know if drastic is is the word, but but definitely more so than any of the other Latino 
uh, representatives. So, uh, what what can this or what may this mean for for our pueblo? Maybe we can start with the uh, with the Nidia district, right? I mean, I think um, we're going to kind of start and end with the Nidia district, to be honest <laughs> with you, um, because while we can talk about, um, you know, the district, let's say the 15th, which is uh, Congressman Torres's district and the huge change that existed there, one of them was going to change, um, you know, to ensure New York City didn't lose representation, um, because I, you know, definitely wasn't for um, allowing, you know, too many districts to share the Bronx, you know, um, because that's always the the seeper, right? The the area that you can like align a couple of districts to go into Westchester and combine um, those districts. So I would say like for voters in the Bronx, you know, I partly think this is one of the best case scenarios um, that we have in terms of, you know, one, somebody was going to Riverdale, right? It was either going to be AOC in the hard stretch from Jackson Heights, you know, and, and Corona to Riverdale probably was not as, as conducive, um, uh, you know, Adriano in terms of Espaya going into Riverdale again, um, didn't seem as, as feasible um, because of the growth of, of Manhattan, I would say, um, and where he had to pick up and what they needed. So in Nidia's, she had the most drastic changes. Not so, she had the most drastic changes because it's, she has like 50% of her district, if, if that, right? And the Latino population numbers went down slightly in terms of like about two percentage points, maybe a percentage, percentage and a half. Um, but the one thing she did pick up was new populations that don't have the same organizing, mm. um, you know, fever and fervor that um, Nidia is so accustomed to because she's coalesced in that district with Sunset Park, Red Hook, right? right? Um, Lower Manhattan, Chinatown, Lower East Side, you know, uh, Williamsburg, Bushwick, going into Ridgewood. So she pretty much had a district that was surviving by the, the by, by you know, the string. You know what I mean? It was a very, that district lasted that long because we had in the past retrogression issues. Like you couldn't go backwards thanks to Section 5 in the Voting Rights Act. And because her district was challenged in the early 90s, then, you know, she was seen as one of those don't touch that. Right. Because if you touch that, it's like the thread, it's going to undo the whole thing. And so um, in this case, they tossed that out and they said, like, listen, we're, we can't continue to hold on to this district. The district, you know, the area of Brooklyn. When you say hold on, yeah, hold on. When you say hold on, you're meaning like the Latino. Yeah, I mean, I mean, like, I mean, like trying as much as possible to make it a Latino majority seat when the population, it wasn't there anywhere in Brooklyn anymore. No. Right. You have to jump through 30 some odd thousand new people that, you know, have been growing into her into that area of um, near the Brooklyn Navy Yard. That was that. You know, she had yeah. to she had to do something with that. Someone had to do something with it. You know, and, um, and for some time and I'll, I'll check for some time that district in terms of voting participation ceased to be Latino plurality plurality. Right. Wow. So 
It's not 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 the it hasn't been the case for some time. Well, and we can't justify that the folks there don't crossover right. vote for a Latino because right. one of the provision, one of the requirements legally in order for us to hold our ground and say don't tear us apart is that the other communities, mostly the non-Latino, mostly white. Uh, community has to vote against our Latino candidate in order for us to have any legal grounds to say our communities are being negatively impacted. That doesn't seem to be the case in some areas of that district where the majority, who in this case are no longer Latino, don't vote against the Latino candidate of choice. They vote for Nidia. They vote for Antonio Reynoso in, in terms of borough president, right? They vote for Jen Gutierrez. They vote for Alexa Aviles. They right. So all these things um, play into the legalities, I would say, and whether or not our communities are really negatively being impacted. Do we want it to be a majority seat? Well, if we have the population, we should absolutely make it. But that could not happen, no matter but how. Other, but, but the other issue, right, the concern that came up with that district in particular, one is that Sunset Park was basically cut in half. Um, and that to me, it appeared and we've talked about this before, Lucia, right, that that our community was being used in a way to try to force right New York 11 to become. Democratic versus maintaining it a Republican seat, which I believe that was the district that really was the basis for that lawsuit. You're talking about when the legislature passed their lines that were then deemed unconstitutional by the courts. Yes. And that was remedied. Now all of Sunset Park... Master, right? That's right. All of Sunset Park is in the 10th, new 10th, not in Nidia's. Um, And I would say technically... The reason why that was such a difficult, you know, choice, I would say, for anybody is because the way the District 10 cuts across to grab Sunset Park and Red Hook, it pretty much divides Nidia's ability to go south without negatively impacting um, Black districts, which is, in that case, Yvette Clark and um, Joaquin Jeffries. So the geography, right, where we live, how we live, you know, all of that. And the fact that Manhattan to come into into uh, Brooklyn has limited um, entry points. Well, three different entry points, Williamsburg, Manhattan and the Brooklyn Bridge in terms of the entry point. And or, you know, even the, the other entry point that's down by um um, by Bay Ridge, right? The the tunnel. But there are, you know, they chose their route. And, you know, I think this is one of the best case scenarios, actually. Um, in no, I agree. I think my, my point was that in the political aspect of those lines that were drawn by the legislature, it did, you know, was splitting the Latino vote and was splitting a community of interest, right, by sticking it in a district where that, you know, representation could be deeply impacted, right, Um, if it remained a Republican seat, for instance. Um, And so there were some concerns there about the rationale as to why that community was split, which was for a political interest. And now with the special master, that community has been brought back. Um, and united, right? So th- th- there's that just the overall concern about how our community sometimes is used as a political football, um, and it could be detrimental in terms of our representation at the end of the day. Now, I would say that if we yeah. were, if Sunset Park was really used by the legislature, 
um, to benefit an, you know, uh, a potential candidate that could have been helpful to that community, right? In solidarity with the North Shore, which, you know, aligns itself with, with parts of Sunset Park, then I would say maybe. But they just used us as a way to get to Park Slope. Mm. <laughs> they didn't use us really because we turn out and because, you know, we would vote. No, they used us to get to a more solid Democratic base of turnout that would have really been competitive against all of Staten Island. Mm. Um, conservative vote. So I think that for me was much more of the concern. Um, you know, I, I'm all for Sunset Park staying together, uh, while at the same time, I know they just used us to get to some other neighborhood. Um, so we were we were an afterthought uh, on servicing us. And I'm oh. glad the special master was able to somewhat remedy that. So let, let, let me ask this. At the end of the day, um, do are, are there any winners here? And and Let's think specifically Latinos, right, uh, and our, our Latinx communities. Are there any winners? Or or even the, the flip side is, could, could this have been worse for us, right? So how, how, how do you both see this? I mean, I think I think we win in the Bronx in the Senate. I think we win. Yeah, I was going to say we can take a look at the Senate lines because we've been talking a lot about the congressional. Let me just say, and then Lucia has much more detail about Personally, for instance, under the state drawn lines, East Harlem on the Senate side was was really split into three Senate districts. Right. You know, and that is just devastating. The lines were really askew and kind of a mess. So now in this revised, you know, the community has been brought more together. It's now under two districts, but the, the, the but the East Harlem piece seems to be much more compact. Right. So there seems to be some and I hear I've been hearing from some others that they feel like in Queens and even in the Bronx that there has been um, it, it has been more favorable. Right. To uh, the Latino community. So I don't know. I know that Lucia can speak more in depth about that. Mm. Yeah, I mean, um, so I would say on the congressional front, um, you know, I don't think I don't feel as sacrificed as I did, you know, before. Right. Um, In terms of the legislative plans, I feel like, um, you know, AOC was not brought into Westchester, which was one of the original. um, Was she? Oh, you make me think. No, she wasn't. So, you know, which was definitely one of the original uh, scenarios. Um, I would say on the Senate is where I'm the most pleased. And I'll tell you why, because, you know, one, Upper Manhattan, while the numbers have decreased in terms of population, they followed the shift of population into the Bronx. And so, you know, those lines have been very successful at, you know, ensuring that the uh, Dominican vote in particular um, is kept together and is able to have representation um, on their issues. So that's one. And I would say, you know, the District 31 in Upper Manhattan, instead of going to the Upper West Side, which was the original intent, to kind of avoid having to deal with the collective, you know, um, voter base like the Dominican community, they decided to go south and pick up the Upper West Side. Um, And I would say this remedy, the Special Master's District remedied that by following the lines um, of Congressman Espaya going into uh, Fordham Road. And there were some changes. Like originally they kept the very gerrymandered District 34 that went from Riverdale all the way up 
to Pelham and New Rochelle in Westchester, crossing all of the Bronx. Well, the special master, after his second final proposal, um, removed and, and stopped that kind of um, district that went all the way from Northwest to, you know, to Westchester through the center up, you know, grabbing so many different neighborhoods that it was a mishmash. I call it, you know, the white gerrymander. They just tried to grab any place that there was a white population um, to, you know, again, I felt like avoiding developing strong and, and, and energizing strong Latino basins. Um, so District 34 was remedied. So now it's kept mostly um, Park Chester, Throgs Neck, um, Pelham, you know, and, and goes into New Rochelle and Pelham in, in Westchester, but not as much as it did before, you know. Um, and then the, they created a new district, District 32 in Morrisania and the center of the Bronx. Um, district 33 is the part where, you know, he originally had created um, a District 33 where District 32 is now. And instead, um, he remedied 33 to go more north and not um, ignore the fact that we have been electing a Latino representative. In this case, it was Senator Rivera um, from that Fordham, Bedford Park area. So he's, instead, he didn't completely usurp um you know, that area, but did, in fact, um, you know, create a second district. Um, and I think that that really did um, ensure that east west wasn't drawn that way. It was kind of north south mm. um, and west and northwest were, were um, kept uh, to have proper representation and more representation, at least from the way I'm, I'm viewing it um, at this point. So definitely, I think the other opportunity is the 59th, which we do have a candidate that's there, uh, Kristen Gonzalez. Um, you know, needless to say, it's not an, a Latino seat at all. Right, right. Right. Unlike what the legislature tried to tell us, we would they would right. create the 17th when they drew. Oh, that's an open Latino seat. That's, you know, yes, um, in terms of what it what it would yield in terms of turnout. Um, I think the 59th, again, definitely not a Latino seat by any stretch, um, but there is a Latino candidate that's running. And the reality is we don't have to only run in our districts. I feel like in districts that serve the majorities, we've been represented um, in majority Latino seats by non-Latinos for since the start of you know, all things districts. Yeah. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I do think we fare um, well in these seats. Definitely the 29th, which is Senator Serrano's seat, is much, it's finally uh, back to what it used to be, taking in um, East Harlem and um, the South Bronx versus going all the way across to the Upper West Side. Um, no right. business doing that. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. So we, we have a few minutes left. And my, my last thing is, are there any lessons for us as we now embark on another redistricting process in, in the city of New York? City council lines have to be redrawn. Um, so what 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 lessons do we glean from this uh, previous mess? And and specifically, if we were to put out a call to action for Latinos, what should we do? What can that look like? Uh, so I'll, I'll put it out to you both and we'll finish it out that way. Melissa, you want to start with that I mean, one? No, it's all, I think it's always, a, it's, it's a very basic, but very true is, is participation. 
right? Because in our silence and our inability to organize or push back or be very clear about what our demands are and being sending a very consistent message, then we have situations like what happened in that highly politicized state legislature drawing up the lines where we were right impacted. So uh, the city council process uh, can can lend itself to that. I mean, I was on the receiving end uh, when the last drawing of the lines of where my district was altered by over 50 percent. It was a new district just about it because of, of it being politicized. Right. And I wasn't in favor um, with certain people in, in, in power uh, in terms of how those lines were drawn. So uh, that's, that is possible at a city level. People may think, oh, it's not as not going to be so politicized, but it can be. And if we're not organized and we don't push back and we don't express ourselves. So I think we've been trying to encourage certain communities to be involved in providing testimony. You know, we need to take the lead from some of our organizations like Latino Justice that obviously has that legal lens and perspective and is very familiar with redistricting. Like, what are those consistent messaging points that if we can organize folks in our community to provide testimony, that it'll be a resounding uh, consist, resoundingly consistent message, right? So I think that that's something that we got to work on is to be able to encourage people to submit testimony because it does have an impact. Absolutely. You know, yeah, and just to add to that, like, don't wait for someone to come knocking on your door. Like, no one's, uh, unless there's a vested interest by whoever's knocking, they're not going to call you to go participate, engage, and find out what the changes are. Any community board member should like not sit back and wait until the districts are drawn so that then they can, you know, be on the defense and, and complain about it. I would say be play the offense in this in this scenario and definitely go out there and you know talk about who you are, what district you, you know, um, you live in at the council level. Engage, engage, engage. Um, so for any Latino in any neighborhood, you know, they can reach out to Latino Justice, um, they can help them prepare testimony. Um, they can, you know, essentially participate in any trainings. I know there's a couple of them uh, coming up that are going to be done with Citizen Union. And look, you know, the, I, I'm going to tell you the complaining after the fact is just that. It's kind of the complaining. But if you never spoke up when it was critical, oh, that that's already rigged. Okay, so then all the negative nannies with all the, you know, understandings of everything, um, set it up so that nobody puts on the record what their issues are with the districts, and then that's when you can really see a devastation in terms of the way in which uh, districts are drawn that don't that don't follow. We're going to deal with this for 10 years now. It's an entire decade that we're living with these seats. So we have to say something now um, before they actually get drawn and they're finalized. In 30 seconds, is the city process, redistricting process, um, is it is it a more efficient, is it a more fair process than what we see at the state level? There's much more requirements based on the charter. There's many more things spelled out. And it's not the first time 
that they're running it with those provisions. Um, it is the first time that they don't have the Section 5 preclearance process, right? The one that could have re essentially reject. So everyone's at their best and brightest and, you know, nicest when someone could possibly reject their plans at the federal level. Not having that, you know, I would say we don't, we want the public and the, you know, the, the general public to be that watchdog. Right. Um, I think it could be very inclusive um, if they maximize their abilities, but they could slack and they were about to slack until we said something and now they're having their first hearing on Thursday the 26th, so. Yes, so we, we encourage our listeners to um, stay involved, to stay informed, and here at Gotham Gazette um, and, and through Citizens Union, um, you know, that they're definitely working to to make that happen. So we thank you, uh, Lucia, for for being there, as well as Melissa, you have uh, uh, set up a an, an informal uh, group to to really look at these issues. And uh, we, we have to keep pushing forward. Uh, Latino, the Latino community is is growing. It's big. I mean, we're a third, almost a third of the city, and we continue to grow. We, we just got to make sure that uh, we are represented fairly. And and that starts with uh, this redistricting process, as Lucia said. Um, the, and also, yeah, is a decade. something that we didn't get in, in, in on, converse on, but we can't, we're going to have to do that is the issue of the voting bill that was passed, right? To have the non-citizen voting happening at municipal levels, the impact that that can have with regards to our community participation. Oh, yes. So that's next year. Supposedly, I think that's supposed to go into effect, but that's another big level of conversation because that can have a real positive impact um, in terms of representation in the next upcoming elections. Uh, th thanks for that, Melissa. I think you've given us a part two to this uh, to this uh, series. So I think that that's definitely something we should look at. It, it there at, there's absolutely uh, definite consequences, right, uh, as to what that may mean uh, to to our communities. Um, and I mean, yeah, it, we, we're looking. Uh, Lucia, correct me if I'm wrong, Bronx and Queens, I, I think of those two, especially as it relates to Latino communities in which this uh, non-citizen voting can, can, have, can have an impact in a lot of these council districts, particularly, I think, in Queens, right, that, um, you know, that's, that's still heavily growing Latino, and even outside of Corona, Elmhurst, right? Uh, Jackson Heights. Jackson Heights, right? Yep. We, we're Woodside. looking out even yep. more, more east, right? Um, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here too, but I think Nydia, uh, her, her new district goes out a little bit more to, to the east of Queens, right? Yeah, Woodhaven, yep. Yeah. I mean, I would say one thing, you know, non-citizen or citizen, if our turnout is yeah. horrendous on both fronts. I would, you know, probably say that no matter how we draw these districts, right. the power of our vote will not uh, be seen unless we actually vote. Yeah. And all we can do is even the playing field and make sure that we have the opportunities to elect our candidates, the people who represent our voice, whether they be Latino or not, right? But the reality is that those can that those communities should have um, their best interests and their voices strongly heard when electing any candidate. Yes. And that's, right. that's the most we can do from this standpoint. Folks have to take it on upon themselves to do the rest. Absolutely. There's much work to be done. 
But I thank you both because you're out there at the forefront on the front lines, right? Taking this, this uh, work head on. So thank you again. I'm honored to have you both. I've been joined by uh, former speaker of the city council, Melissa Mark Viverito and Lucia Gomez at the central labor council. Thank you both mujeres luchadoras. Uh, thank you for your work. We hope you have enjoyed our conversation about redistricting and Latinos in New York. Now that the redistricting process has culminated, the campaigning begins. Over the next few weeks, we will be exploring some of the key races in Latino districts across the city. So we invite you to visit our Gotham Gazette site. A special thank you to Melissa Mark Viverito, Lucia Gomez, and our executive editor here at Gotham Gazette, Ben Max, for his ongoing support and editorial expertise. Until next time, this is Eli Valentin, we thank you again for listening.